Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Vorta Italian Football Podcast. It's been a cracking weekend of Serie A, and we're here to talk about it. I'm here, Connor Clancy, joined by Kev Pugzelski. It's been a long day for you, Grandad. How are you feeling? Uh, not, not too bad, actually. Uh, I reckon by the time we finish, I'll have been up for about 24 hours. So. You're not going to fall asleep mid-part, are you? I'll try not to. Please Keep do. yourself interesting. I won't. All right, well, I'll try my best, but there are other people here that need to be interesting as well, and I'm not sure we can count on Ewan Burns to do that. Ewan, good evening. Hello, how are you? Hello. I'm not as tired as Kev, but I feel like I am tired than he looks. I'm quite impressed by Kev's perky attitude. He looks good, doesn't he? To, to give him his juice, he doesn't look bad considering he's been awake for so long and he's 78 years old, but credit to you, Kev. And lastly, we've got Vito. He's not happy with that one. We've got Vito Doria also on the podcast. Vito, I'd imagine this is probably the happiest you've been joining us on the pod this week. Oh, definitely. Well, it's been a long time since I felt happy about the football. And uh, yeah, definitely after waking up this morning, yeah, much, uh, much more happier news to wake up to. Good. That's good to say. Look. When there's a derby, there's only one place to start. And there was a derby, arguably the derby. Milan-Inter, Inter-Milan. It looked like it was going to put Inter seven points clear when they went 1-0 up three, Van Perisic. But then two second-half goals in the space of three minutes from Olivier Giroud turned everything on its head. And Milan, Kev, sent a huge statement with this win that really blows the title race wide open, asks questions of Inter, and tells us a lot more about Milan that maybe we had doubted previously. Yeah, I I did the match report for this, and I kind of compared it, certainly in the in the sort of closing paragraph to the fixture this time last year between the two sides, where um, it might have been later in February, but... Intel sort of gave a real dominant performance, and that that was it. Kind of, it felt like the the um, the total race was over. This is slightly different because Milan have only got within a point of Inter, and and Inter still have a game in hand. But they showed well, they showed what they were missing, I suppose, last season when they kind of rolled over for Inter to a certain um, certain amount, and and have kind of blown the the total race open, and and they're right back in it. It's a big surprise. I have to be honest. I didn't think it was impossible for Milan to win. But given how this game went, Ewan, where Inter were so dominant for, I guess, an hour. And a Milan's equaliser, it's it would be a jump to say it had been coming. But then once Milan got in front, you kind of thought, they're going to see this out from here. And I, I didn't expect it to be that way. Yeah, it's going to be a real... Concern that for Inzaghi, I think, because while you know Inter fans have come accustomed to this sort of situation of Inter seemingly being in total control and then not finishing the job, it, it's going to worry him that they were just so so in control. Like I said, that equaliser wasn't coming. You know, Milan had improved slightly when Brahim Diaz came on because obviously he's just a much more interesting and exciting player in that area of the pitch. But it's not like they'd started genuinely knocking on the door. That's that's not the way the game went. You still felt like Inter could potentially grab a second or that they just see it out and maybe Milan would get a big chance right at the end or something. But, you know, the second that they scored, suddenly it was only going one way. And it, it will concern Inzaghi that, yeah, it feels almost harsh to say that Inter's heads went because, you know, it's not like they went mad or anything, but essentially that is what happened in terms of the performance. They 
just stopped winning as many battles. I don't think the changes that they made helped in that sense. I'm, I'm glad you brought up the changes because that was so, so. There was two things for me that Inter was so dominant, largely because of how passive Milan were in the first half. That they came out in the second period. They got that late goal in the first half. Maybe we'll talk about that later because it was awful defending from Milan. And and they kind of didn't. They almost didn't want to press. Milan, they didn't want to sort of go, you know, you think you're in a derby, you know, humiliate your, your crosstown rivals and, and go for it. And then you could see you could see Milan growing in a bit of confidence because they came out much better second half. And then rather than just hold off for sort of five minutes, Inzaghi made that, I can't remember if it was two, it was certainly a double substitution, but certainly he made three changes before Milan got the first goal. And I thought, You've shot yourself in the foot here because you could see the game. Last five minutes where you made that sub, Milan stuff, and you just needed to hold what you had. Martinez came back from international duty but didn't need to be taken off for, for Sanchez. Perisic was having a great game as if he knew that Gosens now is, is breathing down his neck for a position on that left-hand side. You didn't need to bring on DeMarco. And I think Inzaghi should take majority of the blame for Milan being able to turn this around. Was Inzaghi not always in a bit of a difficult position here, though? Because Inter have got Milan, then they've got Roma in the Coppa Italia, then they've got Napoli, and then they've got Liverpool. Lautaro can't play in all of those games, particularly given he was in South America playing World Cup qualifiers. So he had to get a rest at some point. A goal ahead in the derby with what was left, 20 minutes. Bringing on Alexis Sanchez seems pretty reasonable in that situation, no? There, I think there are there are times when you when you want to do that, and times where the situation just doesn't allow you to do it. And and I, I feel some sometimes since we've moved to this situation, which feels like it's going to be permanent now with these five subs, that managers when they get to sort of you know the twenty twenty minutes to go, even probably start thinking about it with half hour to go, that they they need to fit, um, use some of these substitutions. And, and and because they've got that opportunity to use the bigger squad that they just go and do it and it doesn't make any sense to. Yeah, fair enough. I think if we're going to be talking about substitutions, though, you Vito, we've got to give Pioli credit because he saw that things weren't working. And at halftime, he brought off Alexis Salamakers and brought on Brahim Diaz. Then he made another change, which was... Which change was it? No, the Brahim Diaz came on after an hour for Kessie. It was Macias that came on for Salamakers at halftime. And, and those two changes made a big impact on how Milan were playing. And ultimately, they helped them get over the line. They rejuvenated the team after half time. The first half was pretty much Inter dominating the play and Milan barely got a look in. They had a couple of chances. Like there was one long-range shot from Tonali that got saved by Handanovic, but... And weren't many others uh, in that half. On the second half, uh, I saw a Rossoneri team that was playing with far more confidence and composure, better link-up play. And, uh, yeah, those changes, like uh, Macias on the right there, he looked like he was in the full swing of things, very confident on the ball, happy to drop back when necessary. And uh, Diaz, too, um, he eventually had an involvement uh, in the goals and definitely... With his uh, skills, um, I think that helped uh, unlock the inter-defence. He's very likeable, isn't he, Kev, Brahim? Um, yeah, I haven't really thought about it like that. Um, I, I think he's one of those players that will probably frustrate supporters somewhat. But he's always doing something positive. So I think that's where the likability comes. Mm. So, yeah. I'll have to keep a closer eye on him now you've said that. I was more referring to his character, you know, like, so when, I think it was the equaliser went in, he grabbed the, the crest and he was pointing at it on the pitch. And then after the match, he, he was doing his, his little um, interview with Milan TV in the mixed zone. And Sandro Tonali was waiting to walk past and he stopped because he didn't want to interrupt. And Brahim turned around and like brought him over. And it was just, it was quite a cute moment. So I, I quite like Brahim, but, Someone we need to talk about is obviously the match winner, Kevin. You focused on Olivier Giroud in your post-match piece, suggesting that maybe it's time that a coach actually gives him the number nine shirts because at Chelsea, he had an incredible scoring record given he, he didn't play too many minutes. And then at Milan, he's started eight Serie A games and he scored seven goals. 
can they just play him as their first choice striker? Yeah, I, I made the point that he was he was probably seen as a bit of a a job share alongside Ibrahimovic. These two sort of aging front men, um, because you couldn't trust one of them to not necessarily do the job, but be around for for most of the uh, the campaign. Whereas actually the the numbers and you know the, not that he's just posted this season, but the that he posted at Chelsea suggests mm. that he can still uh, play a sort of. Uh, an important role, if you like, in the starting eleven regularly, and uh, if he keeps doing this for the rest of the season, he he, he could well uh, take Milan close to the title. I still think it's Inter's to lose. I still think it is Inter's. I mean, as long as they've got the game in hand, I think we've got to say it's theirs. We will know a lot more about Inter after they've played Napoli next week, and we'll know a lot more about where we think the the Scudetto is going to end up, but. We do need to talk about Inter, Ewan, because they had chances in the first half. There's no way they should have gone in at only 1-0. And I know you can point and say Mike Magnon was was excellent. He made a couple of good saves, but he shouldn't have been able to make some of the saves that he made. I'm thinking particularly of that Denzel Dumfries chance. You've got to put that away. And then there were others as well where you'd expect Inter to just be that little bit more clinical. Was there a Barella chance too? Maybe, but Inter can only really look at themselves and, and blame themselves after this. Yeah, that's that's been their only problem all season, effectively, is that they, they create such an incredible amount of chances. Every game they play, they're just constantly creating. And the, the, what's, what's incredible about that team and the way that Dumfries is... Um, come into things and how Paris it seems to have found a level as well is that effectively you'd say almost everyone in that team bar maybe two of the centre-halves like could pop up with a goal and that's what's incredible about them but they do seem to waste a lot of chances it does get papered over mostly because they, they just have so many but in a game like this you've you know like say the, the Dumfries chance in particular in that first half he, he really should score I know it's not necessarily his Forte being one on one with the keeper, but you know he, he hit it straight at the keeper, and you can't do that. You've got you've got to find a corner in that situation. So that will be the worry for Inzaghi is that they're just not clinical enough, and that could potentially undo them in the big games. Inter Inter scored the most goals in a calendar year in 2021. I think it's 121. The the, the most since a Milan side in 1950. You know, just sorry, just mm. to put that in there because it feels like they're wasteful, but they've actually had a phenomenal strike rate. And obviously, partially, partially that was under Conte, but you know, it's still largely the that, that side that won the Scudetto. Yeah, I think a lot of the 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 interpretation of them being wasteful comes from the Champions League because every Champions League game they've played, they've had twenty shots and not scored for so long. So I can see where that comes from, Vito. Federico Di Marco is one of these players that everybody who likes Italian football kind of wants to see do well. Maybe if you're not of, maybe not if you're of a, a Milan or Juventus persuasion, but he didn't have his best day, and he's not having his best year at Inter this year. And having done so well at Verona, is he at risk of becoming a player who now just needs to drop back down a little bit again? I think so. Perhaps Inter should consider maybe selling him to another club because they do have Gozens, and once Gozens is fit enough, uh, I think Gozens would thrive at Inter. I think he'll still be able to play as a wing back, and considering what he did at Atalanta, I think uh, Venero Zuri would still be a fine fit for the German international. Di Marco reminds me a bit of Cristiano Biraghi. Biraghi was good for Fiorentina. At Inter, he was a bit hot and cold and returned to Fiorentina. Now, Biragi, he had, uh, he's been having a good season at uh, Fiorentina and he's the captain there. So, Biragi's found his level. Di Marco is about five years younger than Biragi. So, I think uh, if uh, Di Marco decides to move somewhere else or pushes for a move elsewhere, then that might be able to bring the best out of his attributes because it's hard for him to find a settled role there. Perisic, you know, he's in his final year of his contract, but he's still been doing well. And 
Bastoni on the left side of that defence um, is pretty much untouchable in my book. Just quickly on the market, they, from from stuff that I've sort of read and written about him, that apparently they seem to view him as they want him to be the backup to Bastoni in that position. That that is his role now. They don't view him as a wing back anymore. Odd, now, now though, that they bought, but he is yeah, it, he, he is a much like, better wing back than a centre back. Yeah, it surprised me, but I think he's only played in that position where Bastoni is like once or twice, and yeah. certainly not for a full game or anything. But it sounds like if Perisic does go in the summer, they'll sign somebody else to be back up to Gossens. And then DeMarco is this back up to Bastoni because obviously they, you know, there's only so many people they can buy. They don't want to give themselves too much to do in the summer. So I wouldn't be surprised if he stuck around, but it does obviously depend how his form carries on. Massively. He played that role for one game, didn't he, when he mm. scored that worldy free kick. But it was, you know, I can't remember who it was against, but it was certainly against weaker opposition. Uh, it wasn't Sam, was it? <laughs> Genoa came to and, mind uh, immediately. I don't know why. <laughs> and, um, I think it was Sam. But it was when he had the ability to kind of step forward and almost act as a kind of deep-lying mm. playmaker from left, you know, which, which is what Bastoni gives you with his passing ability. So I can kind of see why they maybe want to evolve him into that role, but as he is at the moment, he's not the player to be that kind of like-for-like replacement for Bastoni, but I could see maybe why they want to consider it, but you just you just wouldn't do it in games as big as this. But the reason Inter brought him back was because he impressed that Verona playing in a left wing-back position. So to see him impressing and doing so well, and seeing the left foot that he has on him as well, by the way, to then drop him into left centre-back. I know Bastoni's left foot is phenomenal, but he doesn't have the same attributes that makes um, Di Marco so good going forward. Another thing with Di Marco, though, is this idea of him playing on the left side of the fence in a back three. Um, there are times that he was doing it at Verona, but it was mostly so um, at the time Ivan Juric, when he was there, would accommodate Darko Lazovic as the wing back. So you'd have... Lazovic then, Di Marco in the fence, but um, I still think Di Marco is better off playing as a wingback because his qualities are more of the attacking kind than of any defensive attributes that he may possess. Just on what Connor said about obviously them bringing him back after impressing so much in that wingback role, I, th- I think they might have been caught out somewhat by how much Perisic stepped up this season. I think that's, you know, in a good way, but that's foiled their plans a bit because I think there was meant to be a more, you know, the way that Damian and um, and Dumfries have very much shared that role as of now. Um, I think that was the plan on the left. But Perisic has then been amazing and he's the sort of player you can almost play in every game. So I think it's left DeMarco with nothing to do and they've had to sort of reshape him. I've not looked at this. It's just come into my head now as well. But we do obviously need to also remember that Federico Di Marco is Italian. I, I don't know what Inter's numbers are in that regard. Maybe he's there because he's helping pad up that that figure in a way. But speaking of left backs, we've got to give our our Kev the chance to talk about his favorite of all in Teo Hernandez, who got sent off with one of the last kicks of the game, and it wasn't the kick of the ball from him but I think this is one of the best red cards you're going to see because he knew he was just like nah Denzel you've annoyed me all game you're not running up that wing taking him out yeah there was certainly a, an element of frustration from how well well the, if the, the, with Dumfries getting the better of him a lot of the game but he, he kind of did he sort of he missed an initial challenge and kind of circled back <laughs> And after he'd circled back, he managed to kind of run past Denfries because then he was chasing it. And it was it was kind of the ferocity at which he, you know, he sort of hacked at him, which is probably the the one that you you really don't want to see. It's mm. kind of you're probably you're frustrated if somebody gets sent off on your you know a team you support for like a, a trip, you know, and a second booking. Whereas actually, you, you don't want to see that kind of thing. One footballer doing that to another particularly from somebody, you know, people in the UK that had to join the broadcast 15 minutes in because the, the UK blackout, the first thing they would have been uh, welcomed by was Theo Hernandez twice rolling around on the floor <laughs> as if he'd, 
being he hit was, with a cricket bat. He was irritating, wasn't he? My yeah, God. And I raised it on Twitter. Actually, Milan fans, or at least one Milan fan, supported and found it equally as Give her a credit. Give her a credit. Long-time listener, first-day patron, Sabrina Belmonte. She deserves a shout-out there. Absolutely. She 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 broke rank and uh, <laughs> she she criticised Golden Child Theo, but you know I said he had, it must have the sort of pain threshold of a toddler, and it is ridiculous because you know he he has a much higher pain threshold. I don't know the person, but he's a professional footballer. You put your even as a professional sportsman, you put yourself, you put your body through so much physical intense that you can deal with uh, uh, you know a finger brushing your eyelash or whatever the fouls were and he just rolls around like and, and then he goes there yet then he goes and does something like that tackle on Dumfries or leaves his elbow in on whoever it was earlier in the game I think it was Barella was, wasn't it because he wasn't happy yeah, about it it was Barella that's it and and you think oh you know you almost just want a bit of consistency it's like if you're going to act like that, don't 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 go and hack away at people if you're gonna sort of feign injury at the slightest of uh, touches of your leg. But I, maybe we leave that there. I usually defend players when they when they dive and do that because I don't really it doesn't get under my skin in the way that it does with other people. Let's just say, but when he does it, it really gets under my skin because I don't know where my line is, but he goes way past it. And I don't know if there's anyone else that goes past it as often as he does. Neymar, okay, but because Neymar's so supremely talented and has had people just kick lumps out of him for his whole career, I kind of get it a little bit more. But Theo's like a stocky boy, right? He, he should be kicking people, not... I don't know, I don't know. I think, I think it's because you, it's unusual to see it from a defender. And the only other person I can think that does do a little... You can fair amount of histrionics has been the entirety of Chiellini's. But Chiellini always has like that wry smile after he's done it. Almost, you know, just Theo's like, oh, that really, really hurt me. Or, you know, oh, it's just, I've just had enough of it. I think the difference with, cause I'm sort of in the same boat as Conor, I don't get too hell about this sort of thing. But what, I think people have to accept that it's just part of the game now. It's an annoying part, but it is part of the game now. But the thing with him is that he does it for so long in situations where he shouldn't do it's not it. like he's trying to get somebody sent off because it's that's clearly not what's in a lot of the situations where he's on the floor no one's going to get sent off there's not going to be a penalty it's often on the halfway line yeah. he's not going to get anything out of it yeah so and so when there's, there's no benefit from time wasting either because he was at it in the first yeah. 20 minutes yesterday at nil nil he's not trying to get anything out of it so yeah. what's the point yeah <laughs> uh, it's just irritating the most irritating footballer i think i can remember watching in the last few years and i've, I've been irritated by quite a few i was so excited to get into all this chat at the top that i forgot to mention all of the other results from this weekend and the fact that the listeners can go to patreon.com slash fourth italian football and sign up over there for as little as two euro a month there's also the five euro and the 10 euro tier so patrons or listeners if you're not a patron please do head over there because we will have some bonus podcasts to come as always, and there's plenty of content to keep you ticking over. And Milan fans, if you want to celebrate that Derby win by reflecting on even more positive memories, Vito had a piece published last week looking back at your 1994 Champions League win over Barcelona. So there's plenty there. But in the other games this weekend, there were a lot of red cards. There were there were seven in total. Two came as Roma Genoa played at a scoreless draw. Fiorentina lost 3-0 to Lazio, and they had a man sent off. Atalanta had a man sent off and lost 2-1 to Cagliari. Samp beat Sassuolo 4-0. Venezia had 10 men as Napoli beat them 2-0. Bologna-Empoli was scoreless. Udinese beat 10-man Torino 2-0. Juventus beat Verona by that same score. And then Salernitana Spezia is being played on Monday evening in Salerno, where the spicy boys go to visit, as our patrons will know from the preview pod and Ewan's weird computer translation system that decides to translate some words and change other clubs to the name of the city wherein they play. We've got to go to Turin, foggy, foggy Turin this evening, where Juventus beat Verona 2-0. And the best news for Juve fans is that Dusan Vlaovic scored the opener just 12 minutes into his debut. 
And then 15 minutes into the second half, Dennis Zakaria scored on his debut. The two debut boys got the goals. And Vito, I couldn't help but watch this and just think, oh, no, Juve are back. Though Those new signings, they scored. And uh, I still think that they're going to make a difference. Uh, they've done some great deals, Juve. Now, you've seen that. In the first half of the season, they struggled a lot and we couldn't just put it down just to Allegri's pragmatism. They just had too many weak spots for a club of their stature. So I think now um, they're putting themselves in a great position to really get into those Champions League spots. And uh, if we talk about the goals, uh, Zachary, I thought, was a surprisingly good finish because... um, from what I've seen of him at Borussia Mönchengladbach in Switzerland, he's more or less a ball winner. He's not really a... He's not a, let's say, a Mario Pasolic type that will make those late runs in the box and score goals like the Croatian does for Atalanta. But uh, that was a fine finish. And even the goal that uh, Vlahovic scored to open the score, that was a lovely finish. Monty Poor probably should have... Well, the Verona keeper should have just uh, stayed on his line a bit more, but still, at least Vlahovic took that chance, saw the opportunity, and just uh, lobbed it right in. It's what you want, isn't it? If you're supporting a club and you've got a new striker who's rocked up, everyone who's going to that game beforehand is thinking, oh, I hope I hope the new striker scores. And Kev, when a new number nine does score, there is a special kind of eruption. Like, that's a little bit more... A little bit louder than than if it had been Paolo Dybala or Alvaro Morata, for example. And the way they chanted his name after he got the goal, you sense that Juve believe that this is the guy to to replace Cristiano Ronaldo's goals. Yeah, well, I think when you've had a, a what is a bit of a a, a bad period for, for Juve domestically, um, and you get a big signing like this. You know, I remember Torres arriving at Liverpool, scoring on his debut against Chelsea. It's it's almost that you're pinning your hopes on that player bringing better times to your club. I actually think it might not necessarily work out like that. I think oh, all, all this Juventus won the, um, the the transfer window. I think they certainly strengthened, um, but Verona still had plenty of the ball. I think the 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 issues with their midfield are still slightly there. I, I actually think Vlaovic is a is a bigger uh, benefit to maybe their future transfer activity because it kind of shows that despite money going elsewhere in or players going elsewhere in Europe, that Juve are still kind of attracting you know big names to a certain extent, but certainly making big money signings and will convince other players to go there and maybe strengthen them in the next sort of. 12 to 18 months. Is um, it, sorry, is it not okay that, that Verona had a little bit of the ball and that this is Allegri? He doesn't, he doesn't want it, but but now he's got a player that when they have the ball will score chances that, that Morata was unable to do before. Well, yeah, as I say, it's a, it is a significant improvement on you know Morata's second period at Juventus. But it was, it was less about Verona having the ball that Juve didn't kind of have that comfortableness with the opposition having the ball. It looks like they could have been penetrated. And just before you probably go on to one of the other guys, because Vito obviously talked about the, the Vlavic finish, it was lovely, but I really loved Dybala's assist. Oh, Not yeah. just the first time ball. Yeah. But when the ball came over, he, he, he saw that it was in an awkward height for either of them to have got a header on it. So he just checked his run and kind of took two very quick steps backwards. So he was almost in the position to to where he could, you know, he just really, really perfectly assessed the situation as to where the defender's header was going to drop, adjusted his body to actually play the ball first time in, you know, a perfect weight, at a perfect speed for Vlaovic. And, you know, I took, I took greater pleasure in that actually than the finish. It, it was, it was a gorgeous goal all around the pass, the finish. I know Monty Paul probably did come out a little bit too quick and then decided to continue a little bit too far. But the finish was also a delight. Let's be honest. You've, you've got to give Lovic credit in that situation, I think. But his former club, 
Fiorentina, there was a little fan in the crowd who I felt very sorry for because he rocked up to this game on Saturday with a, a handmade sign, which was written in English, curiously. I hadn't thought of that until just now. But the sign said, who needs Vlaovic? Fiorentina lost 3-0. Vlaovic scored in his debut as Juve won 2-0. So I would suggest the answer to that kid's question is both Fiorentina and Juventus need to on Vlaovic. But Vito, Lazio leaving here with a 3-0 win is a huge result for Maurizio Sarri's side. It's a huge win. And to be honest, they actually deserve the win. Uh, Fiorentina um, looked a bit flat in comparison. And it showed not just with Vlahovic uh, being sold, but uh, they didn't have uh, Nico Gonzalez at the start. No Martinez Cuarta in defence. No Ricardo Saponara. Alvaro Adriatzol was uh, suspended. So they're important players for the Viola. And uh, his team, they looked like they were in the swing of things. And if it wasn't for Pietro Terracciano's saves in the first half... Lazio probably could have added more to the score. They just played with uh, a fluency that we've become accustomed to Saudi's teams over the years. And uh, also, you know, just uh, if we're talking particular performances, um, Immobile, I think, still showed his uh, true colours, you know, just good finish for the first uh, goal that he scored. Milinkovic, Savage also played a top game. He scored the first goal. And um, uh, Biragi's own goal came through Immobile just dribbling around Data Channel and uh, forcing that shot from the tight angle. So, yeah, um, yeah, an impressive away win that uh, Sari can be happy with. Sergei Milinkovic Savic is having a lovely time this season. He's one of only two midfielders in Europe's top five leagues to have scored at least eight goals and provided at least eight assists. Now, that is a decent season from a midfielder, albeit a midfielder who has always been fond of getting involved in the final third, but that's not a bad record. He's only scored more once in Serie A, that being in 17-18 when he got 12, and the way he's going, you would back him to do that. But I think, Ewan, what might be most satisfying from this Lazio result is that they kept a clean sheet again, and they've kept a clean sheet three games in a row now, First time in seven years they've done that. And considering the fact that they don't actually have too many good defenders, that means quite a lot. Yeah, they're edging into the territory here where I might have to be careful about just constantly slagging them off defensively. No, you can still slag off Patrick. You can still slag off Patrick, don't worry. Oh, that goes without saying. (laughs) But um, I'll let him off this week. But but yeah, they, they do potentially seem to have turned a corner there because... You know, Sarri will be happy that they didn't concede, but they did concede chances in that first half. Um, not anything massively clear-cut, but Cabral in particular so nearly scored a header on multiple occasions. He, he seems like he will he will get, you know, three or four header goals before the end of the season because his movement in the box was excellent. There was just a few times where the crosses were just ahead of him, but those crosses were getting in and the defenders were getting to an extent so you know that they're, they're, they're certainly not sorted out defensively and they won't be sorted out defensively for the rest of the season but they do seem to have improved a little bit there was something that un- unbelievable happened this weekend in Spain now I don't know if you saw but Real Mallorca played against Cadiz and Cadiz went 1-0 up quite early on Mallorca leveled through a, a penalty in the 20th minute and then they got another penalty in the second half and Morici stepped up take it and he scored a goal he scored he scored a goal on his Mallorca debut meaning that he's now scored as many goals for Mallorca as he scored in 38 games for Lazio he's on fire you can't stop the big man now now he's playing in Spain you know that farmers league over there living in Mallorca he's having a lovely time so Kev Lazio are the problem all along Maybe they were. <laughs> I wonder. I wonder where you were going with that, and then no. I remembered you tweeting out the picture. Yeah, um, I'm not sure. On fire. If it's only one goal, I'm not sure it counts as a run, does it? Of goals. Vito's going to tell us. 
Oh, he was he was terrible at Lazio. I mean, <laughs> don't be mean to him now. He's just scored a goal. Yeah. <laughs> just... But uh, you know, but that's one of those things. You know, he scored well in the Turkish league. He's a regular scorer for Kosovo, but yeah, just that Lazio, just nothing went right. So, suppose for him moving to Mallorca might be the kickstart he really needs. Just uh, you know. It happens. Certain players don't work out well at certain clubs, and unfortunately for him, he was just atrocious when he played for the Bianco Celesti. Kev, I do have a more serious point, and I'm coming to you for a reason, given your surname and and where that derives from. But Fiorentina's real problem was that Arthur Cabral missed that headed chance, as as you and said. I know a striker that would have scored that. And they left him on the bench until the last, what, 15 minutes. Pistolero Piontek. Why Why wasn't he playing? Yeah, I'm not sure. Because I think given how he is very much that focal point striker and, and the fact that they lost Vlavic to Juventus, I kind of thought that at least for the remainder of the campaign, he might play a sort of significant role as just kind of that focal point at the top of the attack. Um, but it, it did feel a little bit too late to be bringing him on but I suppose the, the goal that Immobile scored with 20 minutes to go kind of felt as though that was it so maybe um, Vincenzo has got his uh, his eye on the next fixture after kind of thinking their game was up because they played very poorly all over the pitch didn't they? They did but you would be concerned if, if Vincenzo Italiano had his eye on the next game already and speaking of things that people shouldn't necessarily have their eyes on we were all treated to a little bit too much during the week when Juan Musso was on Instagram having returned from Argentina and is I don't know his partner wife girlfriend whatever laid out a load of like balloons and uh, lovely decorations welcoming him home it was a nice romantic gesture so Musso took a photo of this scene and, and posted the photo to Instagram. And all I can assume is that he posted this early in the morning and he hadn't fully woken up, let's just say. And he, he missed one of two things. One, the fact that he was bollock naked. And the second, that there was a mirror in his photograph that showed that he was bollock naked. And you could see absolutely everything. Um, he quickly deleted the photo, to be fair, he took it well, and, and reposted it a while later, wearing clothes, saying, I'm using the right photo this time. And to his partner's immense credit, she reshared it on her own again and said, you're, you're lucky, I love you so much. So I thought that was a lovely touch. But then he went out and over the weekend, I mean, the headline we went to it was he was exposed again because he got himself sent off, Vito. You did this one for us. I yes. I know I'm an Atalanta fan, so I am going to say this. I'm not convinced it was a red card, but we don't talk about decisions, so let's not. But Atalanta were beaten by Cagliari. They had their pants pulled down. Nobody saw this coming. No, and uh, just after kickoff, I had tweeted the formation of Cagliari, and to me, it looks like it was a 5-5-0 formation, because to me... Gaston Pereira, who ended up being the hero on the day, um, he's more of a attacking midfielder or support striker. He's not a guy you play as a lone striker. Mm. But, uh, yeah, just, okay, Atalanta had the absentees, but you'd still think that uh, Ladea would win on home soil and they had a better squad on paper. But uh, Cagliari took their chances on the break and... Uh, also, they probably could have scored a bit more, which is the scary part because early on, it looked like Mazzari was just happy to play for the nil-nil draw, just put everyone in defence and that was it. But no, they got the win and uh, ended 2-1, but it could have been more. It could have been. It really could have been. And Atalanta were better with 10 men than they were with 11 because for the first half, they were stinking. And then... They went down to 10 and everyone else improved, but Malinowski's performance dropped off so much that he was such an essential piece. It just didn't quite work. But Ewan, Palomino scored a header to, to equalize at this point. And it was an open goal, 
But I think it's the best finish into an open goal that I've seen because it wasn't an easy header, all things considered. No, I think what made it impressive was sort of the, the time frame in terms of when the ball went yeah. up in the air for him to get up there and get enough power on the header, but also keep it beneath the crossbar as well. Because he jumped so high that you almost expect him to just nod it over the top of the crossbar. But yeah, it just it sort of initially looked like a tapping, but you watch it again, it's actually a very, very difficult skill to pull off. And to be honest, when... When uh, Atlanta went one 0 down, I kind of thought to myself, I, even with ten men, I still kind of back, um, I still kind of back them to get something out of this game. And then obviously they scored. You think, right, there's enough of the game here, and it's Calgary. You know, they could genuinely still win this. I, I and sorry, that I, just I, very I, much didn't happen. I've, I've I've not heard anything you've said in the last thirty seconds because you said pull I off a moment ago. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that was deliberate. I'm not letting it go past without raising no, it. It wasn't deliberate. I was being a serious <laughs> man in, in a call full of unserious men. Look, we know who the blame is for where our minds are tonight because before we came on the recording they're in the gutter as well yeah look I'm not going to say who it was because listeners you know who it was who's polluted our minds you've listened to this podcast for quite long enough um, but yeah a shock win for, for Cagliari a huge win and a, a bitter pill for Atalanta to swallow given that they've all the players back small encouragement perhaps that we saw both Jeremy Bogat and Valentin Mihaila come off the bench to debut and both showed flashes without either being excellent. Bogat was more involved. He had more time on the pitch. But yes, signs of things to come. Now, moving on. But just before we do, I want to give another plug for Patreon because there is a Coppa Italia semi-final round this week. It, we've got Inter-Roma on Tuesday and then Milan-Lazio on Wednesday. And then... It's the quarterfinals, rather. We've got Atalanta Fiorentina on Thursday and Juventus Sassuolo. I didn't realize they were all this week. You know, I thought they were spread out over two, but there you go. Four games this week. It's going to be interesting to watch, and we'll have the the bonus podcast to come for that as well as the the Serie A preview. So do head over and sign up for five euro a month and get all of that good content. Depending on what happens, we could have a another Derby della Madonnina in the semi-finals of this. So. It's well worth tuning in for. Um, with the rest of the Serie A games, then, we've got to talk about a few of them. And one of those has to be Roma. You and I know Roma are one of the clubs that you don't hate. But I don't see how you can be positive after a nil-nil draw against Genoa. Yeah, I wrote in something earlier in the week about how they won couple games on the bounce and obviously one of them included that first half against Empoli where they were just incredible for such a mm. short space of time but the pattern of their season suggests that this could be a bit of a stodgy game for them even though it should be a game they win and it obviously panned out that way very very little happened for almost the entire game and then it all happened at once with <laughs> Saniola scoring an incredible goal he gets ruled out for I I I think I mean I think I think it was the right decision, but it, it is a tight one. Um, it's one that would sting so late in the game, and then he ends up getting sent off as well. Well, he was an idiot. Gobbing off. Yeah, he was an idiot. We've we've got to say that because he was booked initially, but then he was sent off with a straight red card because uh, I don't know what he said, but it must have been pretty bad. And I know tensions are running high at that point, but come on. The the moment he got sent off, the way he's, he's not even like in the ref's face shouting, he's just talking. So like, what he said, I don't know. It, it Generally speaking, it's, it's the physical actions that you can see that make you work out why someone's been sent off. So I don't know what he said, I don't suppose we'll ever find out. But, um, but yeah, it, it looked avoidable. It's not like, it doesn't look like he lost his head mm. and was waving his arms around. He just seemed to Completely go for the ref. Kev, your friends and Ewan's, Venezia lost 2-0 at home to Napoli, but I mean, it's hard to be critical of Venezia trying to stay up, losing against a team chasing the title. Victor Oziman and Andrea Patania, come on! Got the two goals for the Partenope there. Um, kind of a routine win for Napoli to set up a big game against Inter next week. 
Yeah, and they got to use that shirt that I thought they were only going to wear oh, once we last week. So there you go. The, uh, I'm going to go make a cup of tea, guys. Be back in a few. <sighs> well, the thing is, Venezia chose to wear red. And then I was like, well, why are you wearing red? Oh, it's because, I don't know, maybe Napoli's gone, oh, do you mind, we're going to wear our flame shirt that's an extremely dark shade of blue. It's quite close to your black home kit. So if you can just change for us, that would be lovely. But, um, no, yeah, I, I, I quite enjoyed my little trip to um, Venezia earlier in the season. So I'm a bit sad to see that they've kind of dropped into the bottom three now. Um, hopefully they can get a few points together so they can keep themselves up for another year. But Napoli just needed to pick up three points. So they were ahead kind of uh, on goal difference at the moment for Milan and going to that game with Inter. Maybe to give Inter another fright if they... Um, do like they did with uh, Milan this weekend and mm. take the Partenon P Partenon A for granted. I thought you were going to say take the Partenon A apart, and that would have been really nice. But no, it it was is a different point, isn't it? But um, I think you mean you said fall out of Serie A. I think you mean fall out of existence because you and Burns doesn't seem to realize that there is football outside of Serie A. Do you see him in this pathetic tweet? I saw you no. sit forward as soon as you said that. And I, knew this was going. <laughs> I saw you move forward in your chair. <laughs> and I thought, oh, I think I know what you've got to And what's funny is that as I typed out that particular tweet, I thought to myself, someone's going to say about Toby Beach. I know, I know how this sounds. <laughs> but I stand by the point. Toby Beach clubs are not going to provide the same content. Put that in the tweet. Yeah, but it, it, you've got to be concise sometimes. You have a lot of characters Otherwise... now. They doubled the character count like three years ago. You have plenty. Yeah, but I waffle enough as it is, so uh, you know I have to try and rein, rein myself in sometimes. That's the problem. You, that, you that waffle when we don't well. want you to, and when you should, you don't. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. And this is a man who went to watch Shrewsbury. <laughs> or, is it, or is it Shrewsbury? I can't. Where's, where's that come from? You were right the first time. You were right the first time. He's poo-pooing, low, low, you know, lower league football. I'm not poo-pooing him at all. We, it is a fact. Stop using that... the verb poo-poo. It's ridiculous. Yeah, I'm surprised I went with that, actually. It just happened in the moment. <laughs> okay. But, um, yeah, they, the, the same nice pictures were not being shared by Serie B clubs when Venezia were there last season. So I don't have faith that this nice stuff that graces my timeline every week, every other week, is going to be there if they get... Um, relegated and that's my point and I stand by it. Do you want me to pop on a train and take some photos and send you one weekly? Yeah, yeah, that'd do it, I think. Okay. Or you could just I'm move out here. Expenses, you could just move out here. That's very true. Be mindful of that. Watch out for any mirrors if you're sending photos over to you and won't you? Come <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to be walking around Venice naked, let me tell you. <laughs> 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 don't know where to go from here, so let's let Vito speak because Sampdoria beat Sassuolo 4-0. Chicho Caputo scored against his former club. Stefano Sensi scored against his former club. And Antonio Contreva scored a Panenka. What, what's happening in the world, Vito? Please. Oh, oh it's, it's like Gianpaolo never left, Sampdoria. But let's be honest, to, to be fair to everybody, it's like... John Paul should not have left anyway for both Samp and even for himself. Um, I think it showed the first time around uh, Samp was his comfort zone and now um, he's back. They've bought players that suit his uh, formation and uh, just the the result itself is simply out of the blue. There have been some crazy games between the two sides over the years, but to dominate on that scoreline and when you consider Sassuolo had 61% possession, led the shot count 26 to 11, but Sampdoria took their chances in style. Um, the players that were probably struggling elsewhere, but they're starting to look great at the moment. And even Falcone is playing in goal instead of Aldero, and he made yeah. a few fine saves too. So fantastic performance all around. And hopefully this is uh, this will allow Samp to finish off the season well and make sure the place is far more secure for next season. Can we get live reaction from Vito that it looks like Sebastian Jovinko is joining? 
because um, where's this come from? Apparently, he's apparently, yeah. uh, Nicola Shearer's talking about it. Skira Shearer, um, Skira, he's Skira, yeah, got on the contract until June. Did um, did Gabbiadini get injured in this game? Oh, he came off after about 36 minutes, mm. so I think um, it's linked to that. Probably, I, think, yeah. I think it must be something quite bad because, um, yeah, they've they've nabbed him for six months apparently. But guys, so Domingo's rubbish. And losing Gabbiadini isn't going to send send Sam down, is it? I didn't say it was good news. I just wanted the reaction. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Well, he's one of those guys. <laughs> he's thirty-five. He's done the round. Been there, done that. We've got enough veterans. It was simmering, right? You could see it was simmering. <laughs> the, the pros and cons list was forming in one of the chai. Yeah, it was. It Probably was. just his age in his head. How do you know how old Sebastian Javinko is off the top of your head? Yeah, that was mad. Oh, I've been following since yeah, his days. Another, oh, another wasted talent. Vito's always on the computer during a podcast. He's just like one of my tweets mid-record. <laughs> <laughs> Which caught me off guard. Multitasking. <laughs> yeah. On the wall, we can't see. He's got a Giovinco poster. Yeah. Uh, I don't think no, so. I've actually got random drawings, but anyway, that's another story. Guys, Giovinco. No, um, can we stop Santos talking about a Cologne. rubbish footballer, please? And talk right, about we'll the talk fact that Andrea, Andrea Conti scored again. Firstly. Mm-hmm. The fact that he's played enough football to kick a ball twice in the last few weeks is phenomenal. The fact that yeah. he scored two goals is it, what's happening? It's, it's, everything's gone mad at Samp. <laughs> See, this is making me want me to go over there now. I just can't wait for this pandemic <laughs> to be over. Just I want to leave Australia. I've got to be in Genoa to absorb the Andrea the buds. <laughs> Don't, don't worry, Vito. Sampdoria's purple patch will have ended by the time your floaty lands. Oh. <laughs> it's, about, it's, about, it's about 24 hours. <laughs> Imagine if you move in the next, like, two months, for argument's sake, and your your memories of when you moved is sort of directly linked to Andrea Conti <laughs> and all the positive feelings with it are linked to that player of all people. <laughs> uh, I just... Some winning four nil is just enough of a yeah. shock considering what's happened in the last few years at the club, and especially just in the last three months alone, there's been enough drama. All jokes aside, Andrea Conti is, when fit, which he hasn't been for five years, a mm. really good attacking fullback. So with Atalanta that season, gasps first. Him and Caldara combined for about 20 goals, which was ridiculous. But Conte just never had any luck with injuries. He was at Milan for ages and never played because he was just getting injured all the time. And then he was loaned to Parma. And I can't remember if it was the year they went down or the season before that, but they were rubbish. And when Conte played, he looked decent. Like, he looked considerably better than Laurini. And I can't remember who the other... I might have been Damian. Or maybe it was before Damian came, but it was around that time. And he was a lot better than any of their other options. So hopefully he can stay fit. And do a decent job, whether it's at a Samp or elsewhere. But he won't be doing it at Atalanta, given the bridges he burnt there. But that's that's beside the point, I suppose. Other games. What do we need to talk about? Udinese beat Torino 2-0. Ewan, do you want that? Because I don't. Not really, no. Well, you've got it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, what are we talking about? This can link into the many red cards. How many did you say there was? Like seven? There were seven in total. There was one in this. Yeah, which another one that was quite late in the game, but weirdly actually was important. Everything was late came in this game. After that, <laughs> um, actually, the free kick that's worth talking about. Um, Molina got the first of their two goals, and it was a very, very good free kick. And it was a goal of funness that you don't associate with Udinese. So well done to them. Yeah, I mean, there was a red card in the 92nd minute, a goal in the 93rd, and another in the 97th. So for 90 minutes, this was classic Udinese and rubbish. And then it was just a load of fun in in extra time, which is a little bit odd. Have we forgotten a game? We have, haven't we? Yeah, Bologna-Empoli. Kev? 
check out which kits they checked out which kits they're wearing, and that was about as far as I was willing to go down that rabbit hole. <laughs> What's happened to Empoli though? On a serious note, does anyone have any thoughts on this? Because they've fallen off a cliff after a really decent start to the season, but they beat Napoli, they beat Juventus, and now they're rubbish. I think it's just classical teams, you know, they get promoted or, you know, after a poor season previously, they look rejuvenated in the first half of the season, then the second half of the season comes, they just jump off the cliff or, hmm. you know, that's pretty much about it. They run out of legs too early. It is a shame because they were playing some nice stuff early in the season as well. Let's hope they can get back to it. But I'll be honest with you, I have nothing against Empoli of everything against the Castellani. So while they are in Serie A, I disregard them. And they're a northern club, but I'm like, well, I'm never going there because it's a dump and it's really difficult to get to. So I kind of hope they get relegated and we get, I don't know, who could come up? Pisa or preferably Parma via the playoffs. Because believe it or not, people people here are still, I'm not going to say confident, but have a belief that despite all of the evidence of this season that Parma are going to go on a late run because there's always a team that does that in Serie B. So who knows? Parma might come back. Let's hope. Shall we? Can we? Can you guys join me in hoping that Parma come back to Serie A, please? Well, hopefully they come and see you. There we go. All three of you. I got a nod, a yes, and Vito was saying yes as well. I think I'm accepting it as a yes, yes anyway. There we go. Love to see it. Maybe Jovinko can make a return here. Mm. <laughs> maybe not I will drive him down there um, <laughs> if anyone at Parma is listening please do not bring Sebastian Javinko back to the club it's not going to help anything but guys that takes us to the end of the podcast we will be back in midweek as I said so sign up on patreon.com slash Italian football thank you so much to those of you who already have and those of you who have come new to the website as Kev Seems to wince with some kind of pain. In I don't know what he's doing, but anyway, Kev, say goodbye. Goodbye, everybody. Vito, say goodbye. Goodbye. Ewan, you can do it too. Goodbye. Goodbye, everybody. We'll speak to you soon.